0: Excited about studying what God has to say. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. It's on page 1017. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. Um, so have that open as, as we go. Mark 12, 1 to 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he'd spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went away. I don't know how you feel about parables. Um, I I think when we get to a parable of Jesus, we tend to get into the kind of um, sort of Aesop fable mode. Do you know Aesop's fables? The kind of like the little ant who does a favour for a big elephant and then the elephant sees the ant in trouble and saves the... something like that. And there's a little message in it. And we kind of read this and we go, well, what's the message in it? What's the point Jesus is making? What's the... what's it called? The, 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 the point? I feel like it's... the motto. The, no, the... Moral! That's the word. I knew it was there. The moral. What's the moral of the story? That's the word. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, So what's the moral of this story? Now, let me say, that is the wrong way to read parables, having gone to all that trouble to remember that word. That's the wrong word. Uh, That's not how parables work. Parables are very different to that. And we have to, first of all, ask, what is Jesus doing? What does it mean for the people who first heard it? Before we read it and go... What's this got to do with me? Who am I in the story? Perhaps I'm the son. Oh no, I don't want to be him. Uh, perhaps I'm... Before we do that, we need to ask, what does it mean originally? So let's, let's go back. Where is Jesus standing as he preaches this parable? Well, we've been seeing this for the last few weeks. He's right in the temple. He's in the, he's in the temple, which is in the middle of Jerusalem, which is in the middle of Israel. He is standing at the centre of the nation of Israel. He's ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. That was chapter 11. His triumphal march. He's come right into the temple and he has come up against the authority in the temple. We saw it two weeks ago as he drove out the, the money changers. We saw it last week as Jesus confronts the authority. There was that clash of authorities that Phil was teaching us about last week. And then he tells this parable. Now you have to understand what Jesus is doing. And first and foremost, before we can work out what it means for us, you have to understand that Jesus is telling the history of Israel. That's what this parable is. It's, the ho- it's an amazing parable. It's the whole sweep of the story of the history of Israel. So if you're a little bit shady, a little bit fuzzy on kind of the history of Israel, this parable will help you. It gives you what you need to know. So we need to understand that first, and I've got three uh, things I want to show you. We're going to run through the story and understand it, then we're going to think about what it means for us. The first thing is, I want you to understand and see first that there is, um, there is a rightful owner. So let's look down at the passage. Jesus is speaking to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, he put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. Okay, well that's A nice story about a man, but who's the man? What's the vineyard? How do you work that out? How do you know what it means? It's interesting, Jesus' first theories would have had no problem knowing what it meant. Um, Keep a finger in Mark 12, and can you turn to Isaiah 5? Isaiah, page 690. Page 690, Isaiah 5, here it goes. Isaiah says, I will sing, see if this rings a bell, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. I don't think it takes a genius to work out that's what Jesus is referring to. Right? When you read that, you go, okay, Jesus is deliberately referring to that. Okay, we'll skip down then to verse 7. I mean, this cannot be clearer, right? The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. Okay? God is the owner, the man, and the vineyard is Israel, the nation of Israel. God is the one who has invested in this people of Israel. Did you see in Mark 7? It doesn't just say that they're his people. They're the people he delights in. They're the apple of his eye. They're his treasured possession. So this is how it goes, right? God took one man, Abraham. Here he is, one man. And from that one man, he brought the nation of Israel. From that one man, the whole nation of Israel comes and they were slaves in Egypt and God took them out of Egypt. And then, this is the language, right? And this is language that's used in the book of Jeremiah. God rescued them out of Egypt and he planted them in the land. He cleared their way. He took them to a beautiful land. He defeated their enemies and he planted them in that place. He protected them. And when God speaks of Israel... This is, this is so important for us to understand today. When God speaks of Israel, he calls them my people. We love things that belong to us. When I was a kid, I had a whole, I don't know why, my mum bought me a whole sheet of stickers that said, this belongs to John T. She must have got them specially printed somewhere. Because uh, I have one of those names that you go into a shop and it's like, they've got the pens and cups and you never find your name. I've always wanted to be called something normal. And um, anyway, uh, I had she made these stickers for me. This to, and I, I was so proud of these stickers, and I just went around putting them on everything. That was my actually that was my brother's as well. I was like, this belongs to John T. This belongs to Johny. Right? God has a sticker, and he slaps it on his people, and he says, "This belongs to God. These are my." people okay listen to these words you surely you can feel the beauty of these words imagine you're Israel this is from Isaiah listen to this do not fear for I have redeemed you I have summoned you by name and you are mine isn't that beautiful God says to this nation of Israel you're mine Israel is an owned nation and that's what we see in Mark 12. Who does the vineyard belong to? It belongs to the man who planted it and dug it and built a watchtower and put a thingy and just got it all ready. It's his vineyard. He's the rightful owner. And because God loved his people, he gave them leaders to take care of them. He gave them kings and prophets who would speak God's word. The owner in the vineyard, he entrusts his vineyard to the tenants, the farmers. And then in verse 2, when it comes to harvest time, he sends servants to go and get some of the harvest. That's, that's fair, right? God's not exactly being harsh. It's not like he sends... Look at it carefully, verse 2. At harvest time, he sends a servant to tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. It's not like God says, right, I want all of it. You've done all this. No, God is taking what is rightfully his. The man in the story is taking what is rightfully his. God has a right to expect from this, forget us, we're not onto us yet, Okay, don't get confused, we're not onto us, just talking about God and his precious Israel, he has a right to expect worship from them, doesn't he? He has a right to expect love from them, because he made them, they're his. There is a rightful owner. Let's move to the second uh, big thing we see, and that is that there is a patient owner. So let's uh, I'm sure even as I read it, if you were vaguely awake, it's pretty horrible, isn't it? It's not a nice story, Jesus tells. Verse 3, they see, when, when the man sends a servant, they seize him, beat him, and send him away empty-handed. Now, let's be clear, I don't think that's because they see the servant coming in, oh, I don't like him. This is a direct attack on the master. This isn't just an attack on the servant. This is an attack on the owner. The way you treat someone who someone else has sent shows what you think of the someone who sent them. That was clear. And this expresses their attitude towards their owner. They're acting as if they own the vineyard. Now, last week, Phil used the idea of a mutiny. That's what You can see that's what's going on, right? They're mutinying. I, I, I remember very distinctly going to a museum. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm i not a big museum person, but this was a good museum about the mutiny on the bounty. Uh, the, the story of William Bly, who set out as the captain of a ship, and Christian Fletcher, who, who mutinied and led a mutiny. And, 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 and on the, the bounty, they, they, they then let, put William Bly in about... Oh, 17 other people I think into a little boat and cut them adrift in the middle of the the ocean and they sailed off on the bounty it was a mutiny when you reject an authority that is set over you it's mutiny and up until 1998 in this country it was a it was a capital offence the death penalty was only abolished I think if I understand it rightly in 1998 in this country for, for mutiny for treason It's a shocking thing. Now, I hope you can feel that that's bad. I hope you can feel what a horrible thing that is. But I want to say that actually there's something more surprising in this. Have a look at verse 4. Look at the first five words of verse 4. Do they surprise you? Then he sent another servant to them. What extraordinary thing for this owner to do. The rightful owner of the vineyard would have every right at that point to say, well, who do you think you are? And yet, he's the patient owner. He sends another servant to them. I and mean, how do they treat this next servant? They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. Verse 5, he sent still another And that one they killed. He sent many others. Another, another, another. That is extraordinary. I do not know an owner who would act like that. The rightful owner of this vineyard is a patient owner. And do you know, okay, remember it's the history of, it's not about us yet. Forget us for a minute, still Israel. Remember, the nation of Israel, what you see in the nation of Israel is that repeatedly they refuse to give the worship and love and honor that God is due. And they act like they're in charge. They worship all sorts of other gods. Uh, It's one of the most depressing words in the Bible, the word again. Don't worry about turning to it, but listen to this. Um, Listen to this in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 3, verse 7. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 3 verse 12. Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 4 verse 1. Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 6 verse 1. Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It just goes on and on. Again they do evil. Again they do evil. Again they do evil. This is the nation of Israel. And over and over again, God sends them prophets. Prophets. He sends them people who will speak the truth to them and over and over again they reject them. They reject them and God sends another and he sends another and he sends another. That is God's patience. Can you see that 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 emphasizes their mutiny? It is very clear that this is the settled decision of the hearts of the tenants to reject their owner. It would be very hard to accuse the owner of being harsh and cruel. What a mean God. Come on. Over and over again, he's patient. The history of Israel exposes not the harshness of God, but the tragic reality that the people have set their hearts on mutiny. This is not one strike and you're out. This is cricket like my mum plays cricket. Not like I play cricket. When we play cricket on the beach... This is how it went. I bowled a ball, got my brother out first ball. Like, yeah, come on. And mum would go, no, 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 He's not out. He needs another guy. And I'd be like, but I got him out. So we have to do it again. Second ball. Out! <laughs> he's out again. No. You're being very mean. I'm playing cricket, mum. <laughs> it's so annoying. And they were only out when you had demonstrated a consistent and settled failure at cricket, only at the point when you'd proved yourself utterly hopeless, did Mum eventually say, "Okay, let's let someone else have a go." It's like, oh, this is so. Ri-. All our games are like that. Triple pursuit was just the same. Triple pursuit was a nightmare. This is how triple pursuit went, right? So, if you're on her team, you're guaranteed to lose. Because when when you ask a question of the other team and they're talking about it, they only had to mention the right answer and she'd go, Yes, yes, that's it <laughs> like that. And like on the ones where you true or false, it was like they were bound to get it right. So anyway, my mum had a a very godlike attitude <laughs> to sport. A patient have another go. Have another go. Another one? And that is what God is like. God is not waiting for his people to step out of line and as soon as they make a mistake, he squashes them. That's true sport. Can you imagine in in the the ashes, in in like England, Australia, can you imagine out first ball and someone going, oh, give them another go. It would be terrific. That is the patience and grace of God. And then we get to verse 6. If, you, if, you have, if you've begun to feel the patience of God, you wait till you get to verse 6. Okay, before I read verse 6, I want you to remember that Jesus is telling this story. And I want you to try and think how hard it would have been to, for Jesus to get these words out. Imagine him trying to say this. How much pain must have been pumping through his veins as he spoke these words. Listen to this. He, the the owner, had one left to send. A son whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. It's poignant, isn't it? There's only one left. And he's a son. A loved son. Jesus tells this with such moving poignancy just imagine the owner in the vineyard imagine his final embrace with his son as he sends his son to the vineyard do you not think there'd be tears coming down the, the face of the owner as he sent, as he watches his son walk away to go to the vineyard it's moving stuff Such is his love for the vineyard. Such is the owner's love for the vineyard. He will do anything to save them. And in this verse, you get a glimpse into the very heart of God. You get a sense of the intimacy that there exists within God. This is mind-blowing, right? We're standing on very holy ground when we read these words. In fact, one person I I, I was reading this week describes verse 6 as the most important teaching that Jesus gives him about himself in the Gospel of Mark. Because Jesus, in this moment, is talking about his Father. And he's talking about the way his Father loves him. He's the Son. And we already know that because back in chapter 1, when Jesus was baptised, there was a voice from heaven who said, This is my Son, whom I... I love with him, I'm well pleased. And and the father sends the son to the nation of Israel. You've got to feel the pain of that. And look at the response of the people, verse 7. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Jesus knows what they're about to do to him. He tells them a story about what they're going to do to him. It's extraordinary. And here is the height of the mutiny. Here is the mutiny most clearly on display as they take the very son of the owner and they say, if we kill him. But do you not see there's a madness here? I mean, what kind of crazy world are they living on? What planet are they on that makes them think that by killing the son, the vineyard's going to be theirs? That doesn't make sense. That's like you, in your rented accommodation, saying, hey, great. If I kill the person who owns the flat, the flat will be mine. It's like, no it won't. And yet here's the madness of our mutiny. Their mutiny Get to us. Here's the madness of mutiny, right? The madness of mutiny is that I think I can get away with it. I think if, if I reject this authority, then I'll be free. It's a madness. And that's why we need to see the third thing. There's a rightful owner, a patient owner, and there is a victorious owner. You see, if at this point you've begun to think that the story is a story of poor old owner, poor little old God, who had this people who were his and who he loved, and they just kept rejecting him. Poor old God. No. Eventually he acts in judgment against the wicked tenants. But please, do not accuse him of being harsh. Look what it says. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? What is he supposed to do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyards to others. Do you know the Bible describes this, God in this way? one of the classic descriptions of the character of God is this. God is slow to anger, abounding in love, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He will punish. But he will only punish after he has waited and waited and waited and waited. He will only punish when the settled heart of mutiny has been fully exposed. You've got to see that. And so please don't think that this is some poor little God. Okay, now we're going to transition, okay. Because now we're going to begin to think, right now, do you see that the vineyard isn't destroyed? The tenants are killed and punished. But the vineyard isn't destroyed. Don't you see? Look what it says. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. The vineyard continues. God still has a plan for a people who will be mine. He still has a plan for a people who he loves. A people who he treasures. And here's the beauty of this story. Because who are the others? It's us. We have become part of this vineyard. The failure of Israel means the salvation of the world. In Romans chapter 11, Paul puts it like this. Their their rejection of God means reconciliation for the world. God is not finished. God's plan is not finished. Actually, their rejection Of his son is the means by which he brings salvation to the world. Because suddenly everything is turned. What appeared to be a story of great tragedy is revealed to be a story of great triumph. Look at this quote. Jesus says, haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous. In our eyes. The rejected stone becomes the cornerstone. Everything is reversed. The defeat of Jesus at the cross when he dies in agony and pain becomes the victory of Jesus in the resurrection when he's raised from the dead. The the crucified one is the risen one. The weak one is the all-powerful one. The rejected one is the cornerstone. And through the story of Israel, through the rejection of God's Son, God is doing something marvellous. That's a great word, isn't it? Marvellous. It's a marvel. It is something to be marveled at. You are not supposed to get to the end of this story and feel sorry for God. You're supposed to get to the end of this story and marvel at him. And marvel at the one who would show such patience and patience and patience and patience and send his son who would be rejected. And yet through that rejection bring salvation to the world. We marvel at that. And God still has a vineyard. He still has a people. Those who are not a people are now a people. You are as we come to Jesus, this stone, this precious and chosen cornerstone, as we come to him, we are welcomed into this people. So hear those words, okay? If you are someone who is trusting in Jesus right now, listen, God speaks this. God says this over you. God says, those words from Isaiah, do not fear. This is, okay, this is you, Right? Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. You have a rightful owner. We are an owned people. Just like the vineyard in the story, there is a rightful owner. He is worthy and has a right to our worship, our love, and our adoration. He has that right because he's our owner. He's done it all. He's redeemed us. He's saved us through the very death of Jesus. I, who was once in mutiny against God... Living away from him, he sent his son to die on the cross. Jesus experienced the mutiny of humanity as he died. And through that rejection, he becomes now the one who saves me. He becomes now the cornerstone upon which I build my life, upon which we build the church. But we're owned. You have to understand, as you go into this week, You are owned. You were bought at a price. You are not your own. You know when people say stuff like this, You know people sometimes say, well, it's my body, I'll do what I want with it. We've all heard people say that. In fact, perhaps some of us think like that. It's my body, it's my life, I'll do what I want with it. Can I gently, mm, fairly strongly suggest to you, it's not your body. It's not your body. You were bought at a price. It belongs to him. You're an owned person. He's done it all. And his purpose for the vineyard is so good. His purpose for you is so good. It's to change you into the likeness of his son and to take you to a place of eternal glory and joy. That's his plan for you, but you're not your own. We owe him worship. We owe him our lives, our love, our adoration. We owe him. And I'm so glad that he's patient. Aren't you? When I think of all the times, even this past week, when I think of my failure, when I think I've lived just like these wicked tenants, when I've lived for myself and I've lived robbing God of glory failing to give him glory and just taking for myself and grabbing and acting as if I'm in charge he's so patient over and over and over again he forgives you're in church again this afternoon so that you can hear him say to me so, so, so that you can hear him say to you you're mine don't you see how patient Even though we've rejected him, even this week we've lived as if he doesn't matter, and yet he's brought you, he hasn't destroyed you, he's brought you to church. And if you're not a Christian and you're here, don't you see how patient he is? He's brought you here so that you can hear the message of Jesus, so that you can know him the God who made you, the God who's worthy of your worship and honor. He's so patient. But there's a, there's a warning here. There's a, there is a madness in our sin, in our mutiny. There is a madness. Because all of us have done this. All of us think, I, I think I can get away with it. I can do this and get away with it. The, the devil's first lie right from the beginning was, you shall not die. There is no consequence for sin. You can get away with it. Let's forget this and then the, the, the vineyard will be ours. It's madness. madness. It's complete nonsense. It's a lie. You cannot sin and get away with it. But there is one who forgives. There's the patience of God. Again and again, there's patience. And he is the one who ultimately will be victorious. He is the one who after years and years of patience, 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 one day he will judge this world. And just as he did for Israel, He will bring an end to those who are his enemies, who have consistently rejected him. And he will bring victory and glory to those who are his people. This is why it matters. And Jesus stood in the temple in Jerusalem in the heart of Israel and said, I'm the son of God. And just in case you're worried, in case you're troubled by what I said about Israel, and if you've kind of understood what I've said, I guess you might be troubled. God isn't finished with his people. God isn't finished with Israel. And around this world today, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish people who are meeting Jesus and wor- worshipping him as Messiah. And God has promised that he will gather in all of his people. He will gather them all. And Israel has experienced a hardening in part for a while. And that has meant the salvation of the nations. But God is not finished with Israel. He will gather in all of those who are his. And on that final day, there will be a great celebration, a great victory. When everyone of God's people are built on the cornerstone. And we hear God say, you are mine. This is a big story, right? This is big stuff. And if you remember nothing else from today, I want you to see the heart of God. He's the rightful owner. He's the patient owner. And he ultimately is the victorious owner. And he invites you today. He calls on you. He commands you today. Come, come, come. Why would you live in mutiny against me? Come be my friend. Come give me the worship and honor that I deserve. Come enjoy the life you were created to live. Why don't we pray together and thank God. Father, that, that, that description of you as slow to anger and abounding in love. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are so generous. And Father, thank you that you even so loved this world that you were willing to send your son, your only son, the son whom you loved, knowing that he would be rejected, but knowing that that would mean he becomes the cornerstone. Father, please help us to worship. Help us to delight. Help us to marvel at what you've done. And we pray this week we would live as owned people, enjoying your patience and looking forward to your victory when Jesus will be seen to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we praise you in his powerful name. Amen. We're going to take some time to respond. We're going to um, sing together. Um, we're going to enjoy some of these truths. Um, we're going to song, sing a song. that.